0: This message was presented at the GYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. How are you doing? Welcome to GYC. I, myself, am here for the first time Let me introduce myself, let us begin with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for this day, we thank you for waking us up, and for this opportunity to sit down and study, to learn, to prepare to do the best, what you called us to do. We ask you in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right. My name is John Markovic. I teach at Andrews University in the Department of History and Political Science. I also teach. Uh, I teach modern European history. Of course, I teach uh, world history survey courses. But I also teach church history, and in that capacity, I'm uh, halfway with one foot in the the religion department, and with the other back in uh, history. Uh, So let me, uh, without further, I will begin now with my presentation, and then uh, within it, I will give you more information of my background, where I come from, why do I took upon myself to study the Emerging Church, slash Emergent, slash Emerging Christianity. And uh, today I will follow the slides and uh, try to leave uh, enough room for questions and answers. Then uh, in the second presentation there will be more room for questions and answers. And this afternoon we'll continue with the subject. So I'm not repeating any of these lectures. This is a series of six lectures from now till the Sabbath afternoon. And uh, <coughs> if you are interested in the subject, I strongly suggest that you attend all of them, all of them, because uh, the subject is comprehensive, huge, and uh, I am offering to you only um, part of it. Simply cannot uh, this material cannot be covered in six hours. So on one occasion. <coughs> Someone asked John F. Kennedy to identify his most important asset that would qualify him for the Presidency. Kennedy responded, I think that it is my sense of history. I can testify to the same effect history has in my own life and in the formation of my worldview. I have developed deep appreciation for sense of history and strongly recommend to all of you to take history seriously, major in history. It is the training in history that helped me better grasp the meaning and message of the scriptures. On the undergraduate level, at Andrews University I completed concentration in theology, major in history, minor in Greek, received my bachelor with honors in 1982 and today I'm actively involved in the honors program at Andrews University. On the undergraduate uh, level at Bowling Green State University I focused on medieval and modern European history and completed a dissertation on the socialization radicalization of Russian radical youth before 1917 received my doctoral degree in 1990. And since 1990, I am teaching European history and church history at Andrews University. Gradually, over time, and partially due to the departmental needs, but largely due to my personal interest, I expanded my research from socialism to communism to anti Semitism, racism, classical liberalism, nationalism, totalitarian regimes, postmodernism. Now I'm finding myself addressing this phenomenon that people call Emergence Christianity. The history of these isms, history of anti-Semitism in particular, helped me more fully grasp the Church history and as well Emergence Christianity. I was born in an Adventist family and went through the primary and secondary education of former Communist Yugoslavia, where I was not only challenged for my Adventist beliefs, but publicly ridiculed and physically abused by both peers and my teachers uh, who often ridiculed me that I believed the fables and legends of the old women. It is in that system that I stood up for my faith without wavering. I left Yugoslavia for Paris in April 1968, immigrated to the United States in September 1969. Paradoxically, it is in the land of freedom here in the United States that I began to give up on my faith in God and the Church. If the story of your life is similar to my own and to the stories of my, many of my students and Andrews, please take a comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ has enormous and endless patience to help you find answers to the fundamental questions of life and overcome the difficulties in your life. He definitely helped me and it is only due to His patience and grace that I am standing before you today sharing my personal experience and professional findings. I have found a dream God had for me. It took me a long time to learn that my existence is not all about me. It is about God Himself and about people around me. Having said that, It does not mean that, as Satan claims, God is a self-serving and self-oriented creator who created us in order to please his own needs. Our God is not after us in order to have us lose our identity, personality, and personhood in his own. Contrary to what Satan wants to convince you of, Your identity, your personality, and your personhood can fully flourish only when you allow God to be present in your life. By the way, the entire introduction is not just for the sake of introduction. The entire introduction is shaped and put together to introduce you to the subject of Emergence Christianity. Just a footnote here. So, what does my personal story have to do with the subject matter before us? Keep in mind that we humans are all in one and the same mess. We are born, we live relatively short lives, only few of us reach the the 90s. We We most of the time struggle with illnesses, with pain, with abuse, injustice, brutality and then we die. If you want to grasp and remember that human history is the story of misery and death, only peppered with memories of joy, pleasures, quality, life, goodness, great achievements and success. When people speak of human progress, they are merely refusing to face the reality, fact of history, the greatest achievements in the volume and quality in literature, music, technology, sciences and so forth, has been produced by no other than Western civilization. No other civilization ever in human history has achieved more. Yet, it is that same Western civilization that has produced and inflicted upon humanity the greatest evils ever. Think of racism, that's a European product. Anti-Semitism, European and Christian product, colonialism, European product, inquisitions, church product, world wars, European product, Hiroshima. Why is this generation of ours so frustrated with authorities, both political and ecclesiastic, with ideologies, with corporate business, and with life in general? Because all of them, the Church, the democratic governments, the corporations, all failed to live up to what they originally stood for. Because modernity manifested through theology, philosophy, sciences, technology, capitalism, socialism, communism, democracies, national states, failed to deliver on its promise of progress. It is this frustration which began to manifest itself in society since the 1960s that academics label postmodernism, a term so much misunderstood and abused these days. You and I stand, as the slogan of this conference says, before men and angels. They both watch us. You and I best witness for God when we obey His will and His commandments. When we refuse to compromise, it is then that the people see who we really are. It is then that the people um, I'm sorry show compassion, be patient, give time to people to grasp and accept the gospel. Meet people where they are in their existential context, and then help them with care to place where they can accept Jesus Christ and the message about his soon coming. After all, aren't we Seventh-day Adventists a people who were supposed to understand times and know what Israel should do? Aren't we a people of history, a people who value history and a people who take the Biblical narratives as history? I find the sense of history and of existential reality to be a very useful tool in our situation today. I am not comfortable when leaders in society, be they politicians, academics, priests, Confuse issues, muddle the water, so to speak, or use Karl Marx's language, drug the masses with religious opium. They occlude the path to the truth. Hence, in my work, I, I aim to understand the phenomenon in all of its complexities and ambiguities, and then telling the truth about it in a simple terms for everyone to understand. Seven years ago I began this research with the idea that the Emerging Church is yet one more denomination in the making among many we already have. It did not take long to find out I was mistaken. (coughs) The Emerging Church is a phenomenon of a much greater magnitude. I read books about them, books written by them. I attended few of their conferences and workshops. And had some interesting experiences I had privilege to meet Brian McLaren, Doug Paget, Leonard Sweet, Richard Rohr and others. I aim to represent their teachings with fairness. Although I will at times refer to persons and organizations, since that is unavoidable, my focus is on ideas, concepts and teachings rather than on individuals themselves. If I disapprove of or sound judgmental about an idea or a concept I should not necessarily be taken by you as judgmental of individuals. I find the emergence to be fine people, pleasant to be around and some of them earnest seekers for truth. They are tireless in making society a better place to be for the oppressed, the poor and the ostracized. What I am going to share with you in the next few days should be used with care. As you share with others what you are going to learn here, please do not misconstrue or misuse. Do not use my statements in judgmental or divisive manner against those in whom you believe you have detected emergent ideas and concepts. Lack of unity, divisiveness, lack of mutual respect and compassion for each other is a huge problem among us Seventh-day Adventists. As we proclaim the Gospel, God tells us to have patient endurance. I find present generation to be very much confused and distrustful when it comes to beliefs and what future brings. Your zeal to proclaim the message of the Three Angels ought to be tempered with compassion for confounded human beings. Again, as the motto of the conference says, God has made you and me quote, a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men, end of quote. He watches over all of us. My work is not intended to pass judgment on individuals nor to condemn anyone. I leave that to God. As a historian of ideas, concepts, ideologies and popular movements and why people believe and do what they do and believe what they do, I am presenting to you my findings on the historical phenomenon called Emergence Christianity. This is still a work in progress, yet I am at the point where I am comfortable in making certain conclusions about Emergence Christianity. So what is Emergence Christianity? How did Emerging Church come into existence? The Leadership Network, a national organization within North American evangelism, itself in in existence since 1984, with an objective to work with those who are not afraid to introduce innovation in the life of the churches, established the Young Leaders Network to address the problem of large exodus of young adults from institutional churches. In 1997, this organization hired a 30-plus-year-old Doug Paget to head it. On June 21, 2001, over a conference phone call, a group of homeless, that is, without institutional affiliation, pastors, theologians like uh, Doug Paget, Doug Brian McLaren, Tony Jones, Tim Hill, Chris Shea, Tim Condor and Brad Sissel, were pondering on how to call themselves. And they settled on the emerging church. It should be noted at this point that in the past years they have been tagged with the Emerging Church and Emerging Leaders already. And that information you can find in the book, The New Christians, page uh, 17 by Tony Jones. This this small group of people, they liken themselves to a new growth on the forest floor the future of the forest is in that new growth. If you enter a forest and you want to, your interest to find out, you know, is this forest alive? What is the future of it? You don't look at the trees and you don't look at, uh, uh, at the leaves. What you do is you look at the floor to see whether there is new growth. That is how they perceive themselves, and therefore, according to them, they said that's why they call them emerging church. That means they are the, the future. Um, now, uh, keep in mind that uh, that note, that they have been already tagged, but nevertheless they say, well, this is how we perceived ourselves. Now, we'll come back to that. You will see where that fits. But now let, let me just give you a few major characteristics. I cannot go too much, too long into it, because there is more material than just the Emerging Church. So, First of all, and you must remember this, this should be now for the rest of the next five, six presentations, this should be at the back of your mind. We are not talking about a new denomination, not a new church, and there is no hierarchical organization. It does not aim to become yet another institution it is rather a new way of doing Christianity. It is a new way of thinking. It is a new worldview. These people are afraid to become another institution. And they do everything possible to, as, to stop that. If you were to approach them and ask them, you know what, I would like to become one of you, I would like to be with you, how do I join? They would look at you and probably tell you, well, if you want to become one of us, you are already one of us. There is nothing to join. You just stay where you are. And just keep your work. Spread the ideas. This is all about new way of thinking. The emergence see themselves an emerging community. The kingdom of God in the making. And they like to refer to what they do as emerging conversation, or emergent conversation. Postmodern attitudes and the tenets of postmodernity are at the core of the emerging church philosophy, theology, beliefs and lifestyle. The emergents reject the idea that there are absolute norms and values that would apply to all humans irrespective of culture and time. No narrative dominates the narratives of other cultures and religions. All narratives deserve to be heard. No meta narrative explains and provides answers to all fundamental questions of life for all of humanity. Now, meta narrative, I hope you understand what that means. In other words, they're saying there is no one story which uh, explains everything, the entire reality that applies to all cultures and for us Seventh-day Adventists, that story is what? The Great Controversy. When you talk to Seventh-day Adventists, uh, let's say you talk about political situation, economics, anything in society, they immediately begin to plug all of that information in that big meta-narrative Great Controversy. So don't be surprised. As soon as you talk about some political or economic or social, any event, they will respond within a few sentences, oh, you know, that, how that fits in the Great controversy. Emerging Church is ecumenical. The aim is ecumenical unity, not necessarily religious uniformity. Not only of Christianity, but of all religions of humanity, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and Judaism, among the others. The emergents pride themselves with tolerance and acceptance, and emphasize inclusiveness, as opposed to exclusiveness. The last two being, you should remember, these terms exclusiveness, inc- uh, exclusiveness, inclusiveness, these are pretty much code terms. The question for us Seventh Day Adventists to answer is: Why are we afraid of a <laughs> humanical unity? What is wrong with uh, working together in unity for the betterment of society? That question, people will often pose pose that to you. And you should be ready, you should know how to answer it. Some Seventh day Adventists do not see danger in ecumenical unity. And the answer to me, at least, is simple ecumenical unity makes us, SDAs, ineffective and it shuts us up. How? Let me give you an example. A good example is what happened back in February 2012 at, on the campus of Andrews University. A Dr. Michael Kinnaman, the former General Secretary of the National Council of Churches, came to the campus and he spoke. He is a, a devout Christian. I had an opportunity to spend time with him and talk with him. Fine gentleman, fine a devout Christian, and one who, according to his admission, admires the Seventh-day Adventists for their devotion and respect for the Sabbath. Kinnaman publicly invited the Seventh-day Adventist professors and students to join the ecumenical table and teach non-Adventists how to honor the Sabbath. Would you be willing to join the ecumenical table and teach us how to honor the Sabbath? Yes, responded the seminary congregation. Having been pleasantly surprised, he then added, and would you make it a secondary issue, which day is the Sabbath? To which he received a resounding no. He did not expect such an answer. He then, with a sense of disappointment, simply said, well, In that case, I guess, you do not belong at the table. The emergence hold to the principle of, let's talk about what unites us, not talk about what divides us. And doctrines do divide us. Therefore, do not be surprised to hear the emergence shun the the doctrinal discussions, and often even down-ridicule the importance of doctrines in Christian life. Of course, in certain situations we do uh, do not need to emphasize doctrinal differences as we need to work with non-Adventists for the betterment of society. But we must not compromise our obedience to God under any circumstances. They insist worship should be intentionally experiential and participatory. No priest or preacher is favored over other members. Typically, lengthy Protestant-type sermons are not practiced. Talks are short, and members of the congregation are encouraged to participate in a variety of ways. If if available, an artist would keep illustrating the words being spoken. Experiments with worship, uh, worship space is common, and innovation in worship is much welcome. There are no prescribed rules how to worship space. Uh, how the worship space should look like. The operating term is informality. Usually seating is rearranged because they don't like this kind of formal arrangement. They don't like the pews. The pulpit is brought down to the seating level and often placed in the center. Music is either softly played over the audio system or if there is a band it is put to the side in the rear the point is, the objective is to avoid theater like entertainment. Dimmed lighting and candles are used to create a cont- contemplative mood, and a space is designated for con- contemplation and meditation in solitude and silence. Variety of spiritual disciplines are introduced, like centering prayer, prayer walk, prayer labyrinth, solitude, silence, fasting, Sabbath. Doesn't mean exactly the way you worship Sabbath submission secrecy Bible reading meditation imagination Lectio Divina bread prayer praying the hours, practicing God's presence soul friendship Rosary services and often even the Eucharist. Now all of this that I mentioned it doesn't mean they should just put in one bag and thrown away. Okay, there is always two sides to it. Okay, what is it? How you use it and all of that. But I'm just telling you what they do. I'm not telling you it is right or wrong necessarily, but slowly you will figure out what goes on. The emergent stress, spirituality in opposition to religiosity, The the two terms are always depicted as two opposites. Everyone is spiritual these days and to be perceived as religious is like having leprosy. Spirituality is imagined with positive connotation, attitudes, beliefs, and lifestyle that is free, exuberant, and unrestrained. Religiosity, on the other hand, is depicted as old-fashioned, primitive, predatory, colonial, oppressive, restrained lifestyle, institutional, etc. My question is, how can one, in biblical terms, be spiritual but not religious? How can one, in biblical terms, be religious but not spiritual? In biblical terms, I find these two concepts inseparable. We have to be very careful in discussing spirituality because it is personal and because it is the realm where the Holy Spirit works. Our concern is that we may, if careless, fall for the seductive language of the other spirit. And session four will be dedicated to that particular topic. Theistic evolution explains the origin, uh, origins of the universe and cosmos. The emergents are theistic evolutionists. You will not find the creationists or recent creation in among their ranks. This particular, and I'm talking about full-fledged emergents. There will be individuals you will come across who are still claim that they are creationists, but they are expressing some of the emergent ideas. So those are the people underway. I usually refer to people like. All depends how far have they emerged. Okay. This particular point is one of the most crucial components. I'm talking about theistic evolution that may uh, that make the core of emergence Christianity. The two components will be addressed in session three and in session four. The battle for the mind begins here, and I'm talking about with emergence Christianity. Do you, do you and I believe in the genesis narrative or do we buckle under the pressure of the scientific claims? The main target of criticism on the part of the emergence is traditional mainline Protestantism. This is another characteristic. So far I have not come across criticism against traditional Catholicism or Pentecostalism or any other religion. It is the Protestantism that is under attack, discredited and blamed for most of the evils of the last five centuries. This process of demonization of Protestantism is done through the revision of history. A new philosophy of history is in the making. There are several statements that, I, that caught my attention while reading the works of the emergence. One, as noted above, is That, According to Tony Jones, the original founders of the Emerging Church movement had been tagged by others as Emerging Leaders or Emerging Church well before they, on June 21, 2001, decided to call themselves the Emerging Church. The remark says that the idea of the Emerging Church existed before 2001. I decided to search and find out whether anyone else before wrote about the Emerging Church. This is what I have discovered. In June 1968, Ronald Wilkins and William Colt, with the special assistant of Dr. Raymond Schmutt, published a paperback in two volumes titled The Emerging Church, with Imprimatur and *ichil Obstet of the Church, meaning it is free of doctrinal moral errors. Two years later, in 1970, followed. The Emerging Church by Bruce Larson and Ralph Osborne, both of them Presbyterians. The Emerging Church by Maxwell White, a Pentecostal. The Emerging Church by John Carr, 1980, from Scotland. Uh, In this book he is focusing on the Book of Ephesians, arguing that the Book of Ephesians is arguing for ecumenical unity. The Emerging Church by John Baptist Metz, well-known German theologian, and by some accounts uh, attended the Second Vatican Council as assistant to well-known theologian Karl Reiner. The Emerging Church by Ronald Wilkins, the original two authors, who republished in one volume and updated the book Emerging Church in 1981. The emerging, the emerging American Church by Dan Scott, 1993. The, emerging, the Church Emerging from Vatican II by Catholic theologian Dennis Doyle in 1992. Then there were two very interesting books called The Open Church by Michael Novak, published in 1964. Now, If you remember, the Second Vatican Council opened in 1962 and closed in 1965. So, Novak was a correspondent at the, at the, at the Council, and whi- at the very beginning, while he was attending, he was taking notes and he was able to write and publish this book. And he called the Catholic Church, the Open Church. And then 1977, well-known every Dulles, well-known theologian, published a book, The Resilient Church, revisiting the. Second Vatican Council to find out this book deals whether the Church lives up to the, principle of the principles of the Second Vatican Council. These are all the titles. I did not invent them. I scanned them. There they are. I have all of these books. Some of them were very difficult to find. Uh, some of them even came from Holland and England and so on. Now, the next presentation, we have now about 25 minutes for questions and answers. The uh, next presentation will be on the Second Vatican Council, what happened at the Second Vatican Council, and how does that refer, uh, connect with emergence Christianity and the emerging church. The point that I wanted to bring to you, right, tell you something about the emerging church what it is because that's the most familiar most of you know from this point on uh, I don't think you are aware of what is going on beyond that beyond the Emerging Church Movement uh, we are now talking about and there is more and more literature now coming out people are talking now about Emergence Christianity it's much bigger than just the Emerging Church Movement I just want to bring to your attention one more thing and that is every movement in history. Either okay, how do movements come into existence? Well, first there is an idea by someone who is beginning to elaborate, expand, and talk with other people, and eventually idea as it is defended and argued, it turns becomes a system of beliefs and eventually will become ideology. It is ideology now which is spread among people, people begin to follow it, tell others about it, argue for it and eventually the more people you have, then the movement comes into being. And movements which succeed in acquiring, becoming more dominant in society, they may overtake society and become Uh, leading ideology of the society. For example, communist movement, well it took some time to grow and eventually carry on a revolution and eventually hold the country for 70-80 years. You can have feminism, it's a movement which was spreading, eventually became a movement by the end of 19th century eventually it will spread all over society it never takes over a country but it takes over society thinks in those terms some movements come begin to come into being and eventually do not succeed because the ideas ideology is not accepted by society and so the emerging church is a popular movement though they like they don't like to call it movement but realistically it is and out of fairness to them, I like to keep movement in quotation marks, but um, no grouping of people can get together without something bringing them together. And in this case there is an ideology, there is certain theology, there is certain philosophy which tells you that there is that has been in the making before. And uh, as I went to research all this, trace it, it leads me back to the Second Vatican Council. And then the question is what happened in the Second Vatican Council. Next presentation I will show you and you will see that it goes even before some of the ideas, some of the individuals. So at this point I will entertain your questions. And uh, let's, so Phil, um, now excuse me ma'am, how are you going to tape this? So speak loud please. Uh let's uh, begin. Yes, you please. Okay, it's so the question of experiential. Yes. Okay. Uh the question is why emphasis on experiential aspect of worship. Well, because that existed all the time. Okay. Okay, the point is that the emergents do make an issue of it. They are the ones. I'm giving you characteristics of who they are. They are the ones. The emergents are the ones who emphasize and they are saying worship should be experiential and participatory. What, What does that mean? It means they are saying that And and now you you may recognize that that is partially true even for our own church. This is what they are saying. If you go to pretty much any church, anywhere, you will usually enter into the church, you sit down, you have a song, then you have announcements, which amounts to advertising, then we have collection of offerings. Then we have another song. Then we may have a group sing a group, small group choir or a, a, a band. Uh, you, they they would sing, and all the other members in the church they're sitting and listening to it. It's like in theater now. A group is performing, the other group is watching and listening. Okay, so the perform- they are performing the audience is like in theater they are not participating see so it it's not as experiential individually maybe but not and then you have a sermon and sermon often turns out a lecture so a preacher may choose a topic let's say on uh, uh on tithing, on uh, sin, on uh, latest missionary activity in India or China, or some topic which is not focused on what God does, but what we do. And so, in other words, what they're saying is our sermons are, and this is everything I've said about it so far, it is pretty much a description of Protestant-type worship. And so they would say that Protestant worship is nothing else. It's very sterile. It's uh, routine. It is uh, most of the time people would enter into the church and walk out uh, an hour later without experiencing the God. It's not divine. And so they bring into the picture now and they say if you go, for example, into the uh, liturgy of Catholic Church, Pentecostal, Orthodox, what you do is you enter and let's take uh, uh, Catholic, uh, the Mass. When you enter, you have a choir, you have incense, so there is music, which is influ- uh, aud- auditory senses. There is incest, which is affecting your uh, smells, uh, 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 sense. Uh, You participate in the Mass by Eucharist and wine. You have taste, you have visual. Uh, All the five senses are, and you have uh, icons and you have, even if you want there, you can touch them, you can kiss them. So the point is that all five senses are involved and not only the priests, but even the people in the audience. So that's what they're saying. And so they are trying to, they're criticizing the Protestant type. They say, that's their that's, you know, look, it's not a... People who walk out of Pentecostal, who walk out of the Catholic or Orthodox worship, they f- walk out feeling, I have experienced Divine Presence. That's what they're talking about. now. What do we do? We Adventists. Obviously we are not going to bring the Eucharist in. But the point is for us to pay attention, maybe reflect on what we do and try to make our worship more experiential. That means involve the audience and there are ways to do it and I don't want to spend time on it but there are ways to do it. We don't have to bring Eucharist, we don't have to dim the lights, We don't have to do a lot of things that they do. Now you will see in the next presentation when I speak on the spiritual disciplines and uh, I believe that's uh, number three, uh, I will talk more what is the danger here. I am not against innovation into worship. Nothing wrong with innovation. The question is what is it that you bring in and what is the purpose and we have to be careful With when we bring certain practices, that they do not lead us into idolatry. Because as soon as you begin to focus on space, the holiness of space, nature, spirits, whatever, you are entering the realm and you may end up... And I have witnessed, I have seen, uh, it, it turns into idolatry. So that's a danger. Uh, Yes, please. I have a kind of a question comment you may add to that. I just want to make it clear. When I say, they say, and they go around, they emphasize spirituality, they are spiritual, they are not religious, and all of that. Right now, at this level, when we use the term spiritual, spiritual, what does that mean? Well, it simply means a way of life under the spirit. That's what it means. Now, it can go two ways. I am also spiritual. I believe I am. Because I have submitted myself to the will of Jesus Christ who sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit guides me and leads me. I believe it's with me. So my life is also spiritual. Okay, so that's why I'm saying the term spiritual is a code term. You use it. All of us use it. Adventist Catholics emerges. everybody uses, we are spiritual. Okay, we are spiritual. What does that mean? But it can mean life under the Spirit. It can mean life under the Holy Spirit. Well, what spirit? We have a lot of spirits. John warns us, he says, test the spirits. So I am not saying when, so far in the present, in the presentation here, I'm not saying that spirituality is spiritism, I'm not saying that. They are using the terms spirituality and emphasize that against religiosity. I, am, I don't like that dichotomy, splitting it. Because from a biblical perspective you cannot be spiritual without religious and religious without spiritual and we already have examples of that. You have a lot of people who are religious but they are not spiritual because the Holy Spirit is not with them. Maybe the other spirit is. You can say, okay, yes, they are spiritual, but the other spirit. Mm-hmm. So you have people who are spiritual but they are not religious. They just talk, you know, but they don't really live it. So it, those are the problems. I just told you what they do. Okay? Yes, please. I'm just, guys, you're you are going ahead of me. <laughs> uh, you just have to, uh, I, am, I just gave you today a presentation what the, who the emergents are and what they say. And now it begins to, where it goes and the meaning and analyzing and breaking it down. So you're just going a little bit ahead of me, okay? So yes, I saw this young lady here. Yeah, okay. It's, uh, th- now I will be talking about it in the couple, uh, maybe even a bit, to, uh, in the second one, but then going to the third one. Uh, you will see where this leads, leads into the direction of, um, you see, it, there, 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 are, there is an influence of Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, all of that in monistic religions, it comes here. Uh, that 's what now we are entering into what emergence Christianity is, but that is coming in the next presentation it's a, you will see uh, yes Th- it is a new way of thinking that is overtaking society and you you should not be surprised when you talk with people you should be able to identify these ideas you can see where do they come from and I am focusing on uh, I will give you one presentation. we are talking here about Let me make sure that uh, I don't uh, get over time. Um, uh, Let me make sure this, on my third presentation, I will be talking about, I have to explain to you guys what is a worldview. Do you know that we all use that term left and right? And I I addressed that the whole lecture on what is worldview. Why? Because it is the emergents who emphasize and they are the ones who argue. You In all the literature that you go, almost every one of them will tell you, trying to convince you, they will tell you, we are, as a society, going under or through fundamental change in our paradigm of thinking in our world view, and they use variety of terms. They say cultural change, paradigm change, change in our thinking, and so on. Oh, and I cannot just recall now exactly all the terminology they use. They are the ones who emphasize that. For example, Brian McLaren has a book titled Everything Changed, Therefore Everything Must Change. Oh, well, you know, when I listen to that, I would say, wow. And people are People are, when they start listing what changed, people are taken aback and they say, wow, yes it is, everything changed. And people today believe that their world is so different from the world of their parents. that, And they would say, my parents do not understand what I am going through. Well, when they start talking, therefore everything must change, the people follow them. And I'm saying, wait a minute, hold on. Let us talk about what is it that changed. Because it is not true that everything changed. There are certain things that did not change. And that is, human nature did not change. And fundamental questions of life did not change. What changes is often connected to technology. And the answers to fundamental questions of life are being changed. And that is the problem. So that uh, and and they forced me. You know, I read this. I say, wait a minute. What are these people talking about? So it, there is a whole field in academia, talking, discussing, and trying to analyze what is concept, what is worldview, and that's why I had to devote to that. And so that's why, if you notice earlier, I said, you know, we're talking about a new converse, new conversation, new way of thinking, new worldview. So let me just go to the other side, please speak louder. It's, it's, it's a whole set of ideas. It's a whole set of new way of thinking and putting it together. And let me just make it because it's coming out clear, uh, coming out as far as I can listen and I'm listening to you. I am not teaching emergent theology here. And why is this of concern? It is of concern because you guys are going to, you are facing it and you will face it even more. This talking and this way of thinking, and you have to understand what is it coming at you, and then you should be able to respond to it intelligently. So that when you talk with people, who are confused. People are honestly confused. They don't know what to believe. And some of these people are very deep into it. And therefore you have to be able to t- communicate with them. It's very complicated. And uh, let me... I, um, I sent an article, and an Adventist Review published, the last week of June, published an article, written, my article, and I don't know if you have read Adventist Review. There is uh, the, the title of the article is it's on a cover page. A true lover or seducer. I don't know how many of you read that. Let me see your hand. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> you guys should read Adventist Review more regularly. Anyway, what I'm trying to uh, and i I'll, I'll, I'll unpack this a little more uh, when I uh, the lecture or four when i speak on spiritual disciplines and mysticism and i will point out to you is we live in an age where and few of us pay attention to this we all talk about jesus being our true lover and we are the church and we always talk about it that's the best metaphor that we have in the scripture Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church church is the bride. Now, put it on a personal level, Jesus, your lover, and you, the bride. We often talk about it. And we stop there. But do you know what is going on in real life? That we did not pay attention? And one of the authors brought that to my attention. You know, when I came across it, they said, wait a minute. I never paid attention to this. In real life, wherever you have a lover and a girl, you always, there is always a seducer, a third party, who is trying to mess the relationship up. We don't pay attention. We live in an age today, the language you listen is seductive. When I read emergent literature, I read page after page, and I'm saying, this is Adventist language. I wonder whether these people read Ellen G. White. But then you just come to a twist and conclusion, which is, wait a minute, how did they conclude this? I go back and trying to figure out where is the fallacy in reasoning. We are facing today, when I went to schooling, I had across me Darwinians, atheists, people who were telling me the Bible is a collection of legends and fables for old women. You you are smarter than that. The enemy was very clear. I knew exactly who is my enemy. My children went through Adventist Christian education. And they would come home and make statements and I say, well, where did you hear that? Statements which, strange. It's not Adventist idea. Well, our teachers said that. We are today facing, I'm just giving you an example here. I'm not saying our education is bad, because it's the best still about the other. But we are facing today people across the table who are not Darwinians anymore. They will not tell you Bible is a collection of legends and fables. They'll tell you Bible is the Word of God. They believe the Bible. They, it's inspired the Word of God. They will quote it. But the conclusions they are making are so outside And you are talking to seductive language and we have to train ourselves to figure it out. To be able to discern the wrong ideas. That's what I'm trying to help young people understand. So when they say, we need to have a worship, it has to be participatory, um, experiential. I say, okay, hold on, hold on, just hold on. What are we doing? And you know, young people and uh, some of our leaders, they are trying to attract people to the church. And that's noble. And they're looking for new ways. But the problem is that sometimes, as they bring new stuff, sometimes what slips into is some practices that are questionable. And sometimes if we go too far, we keep going, we are actually beginning to slip into this emergent theology. That's all I'm trying to do, trying to help this. OK, it's, uh, time is up. How much time? We have 15 minutes uh, break. Uh, stretch your feet and come back and we'll continue. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.